Morning, morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Bates. I'm married to Jen, and we've got a little three-year-old boy who should pop up in a moment on the screen. That's him, and that's him at our um, at my Omar's memorial this week. So I have to start with a funny story. Can you believe from a memorial some funny stories came? So that's Sam, and he's at the memorial, and we're sitting there. He's standing in front of my wife, and he's like, he's trying to figure out why this is taking so long to start the service. You know, he's getting a little bit impatient. And uh, he, uh, it's in the, it happened in the retirement village where my Omar used to live. And so he looks at the door and he sees an older lady with gray hair coming in and, and a light bulb goes on. He's like, that must be her. And so he quickly turns to, my mom, to, um, to Jen, my wife. He's like, mom, look there. Omar's come. She's arrived. <laughs> he's like, now we can start. <laughs> We're like, no, my boy. <laughs> And then it gets better. So at the end of the service, he um, it's finished off, and and Sam's still a little bit perturbed, you know, my little boy. And he's and he's in his kind of caring, concerning voice. He turns to Jane and he's like, "Mom, oh my, better hurry up. She's going to miss the tea party." <laughs> so then after the service, and then it gets even better. So it's halfway through the tea party, and uh, Sam's really like thrown now. He's like, "Where is Omar?" You know, and he turns off finally to Jane. He's like, "Mom." If Omar doesn't come soon, she's going to miss all the cake. <laughs> and so that's a little funny story about my boy from this week. You can't make those things up, eh? Those of you who've got kids, I mean, they're just priceless moments that come as you go through, as you go through life. And so this morning, on a different note, we are going to be starting a four-week series in Philippians. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that was, what, 12, 15 weeks? I don't know. We're going to be starting a week, four-week series on rest. And so I don't know what your years look like. Um, it's probably, maybe it's been quite hectic. Maybe it's been tough. I know our year has been very tough. There have been some hectic family health issues, so it's been long. Maybe you've had a really successful year, but I know for all of us, uh, we've been running pretty hard. And by this time of the year, we are ready uh, for some rest and for a break. And I know I certainly am. And so as we get started this morning, I need a volunteer, a guy volunteer. Who's willing to volunteer for me? Kirtan, come. You're brave. Okay. So, Gertin, this is for you. Okay, you can carry it over your shoulder. There we go. So this sack represents our year. <laughs> okay? So what I want Gertin to do, I want you just to run around this middle section, um, and it's going to be a few times. So off you go. <laughs> so we start off in January, and uh, life's looking good. Things are going okay. We're ready. We're amped for a new year. And then... Um, and then you can stop, you can stop, you can stop. You are going to keep running, but you can come back. Just one at a time. So we, uh, we get through January and we're feeling good, and then we get to February. You can just open your bag. And, um, and then um, and, uh, suddenly our workload increases. Uh, there's more time demand you can go. So we're running through February, and we're running, and we're running. And we have less time for family, and there's a bit of strain that comes. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. And then we get to March. Stop, stop, stop. And then we get to March, and, um, and you can go. And uh, in March, something a bit more hectic happens. A close family member passes away, and there's this burden that falls on you, and you're trying to deal with this thing, but, but you keep running. And then it comes to April. Here we go. You can keep going. It comes to April, and then um, someone gets really sick, but you've got to keep going. And maybe it's a close friend or a family member, but you've got to, you just keep going, and, and you keep going, and... <laughs> And then it gets to May. And May's a good month, so you can keep going. 
nothing bad happens in May, so things are looking good. And, um, and then you get to June, and um, this is quite heavy. <laughs> okay. Then you get to June, and you've got to keep running. You get to June, and this pesky little issue keeps popping up, and it rears its ugly head again, this little sin issue that you've been struggling with for years, and it rears its head, and the shame and the guilt comes with it again. And then you decide, no, in the next month, what's, what are we on now? July. July, you're going to work on that thing. Keep going. And you're going to work hard, and you're going to deal with that sin issue. And so you put your hand to the grind, and you just keep going and going and running. And then we get to August and September, and you get to work. Keep going. And you get to work, and your colleague says... You get to work and your colleague says, just your attitude is just not great. Eh? What's going on, man? And so you decided to work on it and you put effort into that. You want to be a nicer person. And finally, you get to November. <laughs> and two of your colleagues resign. Two of your colleagues resign, the workload picks up, you just got to keep going, you're finished by the end of the year, and you get to December, and you put down the load, and you're just really hoping that next year is a better year. Thanks, Gertin, you can take a seat. And so that's all a lot of fun, but in truth, some of those things might have been part of your year. Some of those things might have been weighing you down this year, and you can't stop, you've got to keep going. If you've got kids, you've got responsibilities, you've got work, you've got family, you've got studies, um, you've got other people who you're responsible for, you've got to keep going. But these loads and these weights, they don't stop. They don't stop, and that's part of life. And so you might have been running hard this year, maybe stressing about a family member or about work or about um, a multitude of things that come into our lives, and maybe they've been weighing you down, stressing you out a bit, and you're really keen for some rest. And not just, not just kind of you know, uh, pretend rest. <laughs> Sometimes you go on holiday and you come back more tired, you know. You want real, genuine rest. Rest for your hearts. Rest for your soul. And fortunately this morning, we don't have to manufacture our own rest. Jesus tells us where to find rest and how we can find rest for our souls. When you've been running like this hard, and maybe it's been years. Maybe that's not just one year. Maybe for you that's been years and years. And you just need rest, genuine rest, for your soul. And so Jesus fortunately tells us how to do that. And we're going to get to that scripture in a moment. And it's a wonderful invitation to each one of us here this morning that he issues to us, each of us, as he did to the audience that he shared it with all those years ago. And we all, we all enjoy receiving invitations. And Jesus gives us an invitation this morning. But we all enjoy receiving invitations, right? You love, it's awesome to get an invite to a braai or to maybe a wedding or a friend's place or whatever. It's, it's really, we, we love it. And usually at the bottom of invitations, there'll be the little, um, those little French cryptic notes, you know, RSVP, and we all know what that means. Does anyone know what that means in French, by the way? Well done. There we go. Thanks, Ali. <laughs> so we all know in some way, shape, or form, means please respond if you want to come, Right. And, um, but not everyone knows that, and so um, I don't know if you guys know John Stott, he's quite a famous old British preacher, but he shares this wonderful little story um, about, the, uh, about, about the RSVP, um, and he says this, a couple found political asylum in America during the Second World War. They came from Eastern or Central Europe, and they were not well-versed in American culture. One day they received an invitation to a wedding, however, 
And at the bottom of the invitation, it had those cryptic letters, RSVP. In thick European accent, that's what I mind is going to be my European accent for today, Eastern European accent, the husband says, Wife, what does RSVP mean? <laughs> so they thought for a while <laughs> until inspiration dawned on the husband and he said, Wife, I know what it means. Remember, send wedding presents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <coughs> and so this well-meaning couple, that's a true story, by the way, this well-meaning couple received an invitation to a wedding, but they took it as a demand on them to do something. And sometimes we get that confused with the gospel and with Christ. We take what he gives us as an invite, and we see it as a demand. And so what we're going to look at this morning in Matthew is a wonderful invitation that Jesus issues to us. And so we can turn our attention to the screen um, you can follow on the screen, or if you want to follow in a Bible, whatever you've got, or on a phone, um, you can do that. It's Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what pleased you to do. 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, come to me then. Listen to this beautiful invitation that Jesus issues to us this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Think Kirtan running around, weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And I will learn and learn from, from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is such an incredible invitation that is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew, who recorded Jesus' life on earth for us in one of the four Gospels, was an apostle of Jesus. He was one of the first 12 guys who were close to Jesus. And um, he was called from, um, to follow Jesus when he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. He was one of the most hated people in his time because he was collecting tax and often very um, uh, in a non-kosher way and to his own advantage. He was collecting tax for the Roman Empire from the Jews. The Roman Empire who were um, in rulership at that time were the sworn enemies of the Jews. Yet he was a Jew collecting tax for the Roman Empire from the Jews. So they hated him. He was not liked by his community. He was an outcast. He would have been very weary and burdened. And so this invite to him was just so pertinent. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Matthew would have known that as a personal experience. And I think some of us will know that as a personal experience also. We are weary and burdened. And so just before Jesus issues that invite, um, he says two wonderful things to help us respond to that invite in verse 25 and 27. So let's have a quick look at those uh, before we go on to this wonderful invite, which we're all invited to this morning. Verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what pleased you to do. And so imagine this, Jesus is walking through Galilee, 
These are not just uh, sort of words that somebody made up. These are actual words of a, a man who lived 2,000 years ago and was speaking to a crowd, and people overheard him. That's how they recorded these. He was in Galilee. He was preaching the gospel. He was saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm the king. I'm here, guys. That's what he was saying. And there's a whole bunch of people surrounding him. Jews, people who weren't Jews, really religious, devout Jews, just your average Joes. They were in this crowd trying to hear what this man was saying. And they over, overheard him praying this prayer to the, to the Father. And in this prayer, he's praying to, for two groups of people. And I think we all fall into one of them. He's praying for those who think they're fine and those who know they're not. <laughs> he's praying for those who think they're fine and those who know they're not. And you might not believe him, but let's, let's have a look. He firstly says he speaks to the, um, about the wise and the learned. And when he speaks about the wise and the learned, he's referring to the religious elites who were around him at that time. They were very wise in worldly wisdom. They were very learned in the Jewish scriptures. They knew a lot. They knew a lot. And unfortunately, all they knew and all they had studied, which was the law of God, blinded them to seeing the living creator God in the person of Jesus in their very midst. Their wisdom and their learning blinded them. They, they were God was hidden from them because their pride was so big. They were fine on their own. They didn't need Jesus. In fact, they, were, they could tell Jesus what to do and what not to do. They could tell him if he was sinning or if he was not sinning. Or at least they thought so. And so their pride in their own eyes and their own heads blinded them to seeing Jesus. They thought they were fine on their own. I wonder if that's ever our situation, if pride ever blinds us to seeing God to responding to him, feeling like we're okay on our own. We, we can do it on our own, you know. We're going to be fine. We don't need the help of God. I mean, why? We can do it. Does that kind of thinking, however subtly, come into our mind sometimes? I know it does for me. I don't want that. I want to see God. I want to respond to him. I don't want him to be hidden from me. And so at my Omar's memorial service, obviously, um, at any sort of funerals or more memorial services, we think about death and kind of contemplate a little bit about death and, and life and these things. And I realized once again that, you know, we can accumulate so many things in this life, achievements, um, money, um, acclaim, privilege, all these things, we can accumulate them. But when we die, what are they all worth? <laughs> what do they count for? What truly counts in this life? What truly matters? What are we doing with our lives? And so if we think these things that we accumulate and these, these, this education and this privilege and all these things are going to make us more worthy or more presentable or more qualifying to come to God, Jesus says no. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says you're bl the wise and the learned are blinded from seeing. He says the little children are the ones who see me. Another translation says babes or babies, literally those who are completely helpless on their own. What can babies bring you except poops and crying and no sleep? They literally can't give you anything. They are helpless on their own. They can't make it on their own. And that's what Jesus says. Those who I reveal myself to are the humble. Those who come like humble little children, knowing they are dependent. They cannot make it on their own. They're not fine. They need help. And so Jesus speaks those words to us this morning. How do we come to him this morning? Do we come to him as those, however subtly, 
who just want to add him onto the top of our lives, onto the pile of all the things that we already do. Come, Jesus, thank you, little add-on. Or do we need to lean our entire weight onto him and fall upon his mercy because we cannot make it on our own? Those are the ones who will see God. Jesus says earlier in Matthew that he has come for the sick. It is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. Do we know that we are spiritually sick? We need a doctor to come and heal us. And then he goes on in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. Um, he says, all things, Jesus is still praying, people overhearing him, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom he chooses to reveal him. So just when we think that it's kind of all up to us, you know, we just got to humble ourselves, we've got to be humble, our hearts must be broken, and we must know that we can't bring anything. And this is the beauty of the, the Bible when we read it carefully. It's so beautifully balanced. It just comes with a counter. So verse 25, we realize we've got to come with this humble heart. We've got to be ready to receive. And verse 27 then speaks about God's sovereign, beautiful part in the act of salvation, in the act of drawing people to himself, in the act of... Um, making us sons and daughters of God. And it starts with this foundational question, and Jesus starts with it here. Who is Jesus? If we're going to make any inquiry into the gospel, if we're going to look to see who God is, we've got to ask this question, who is Jesus? And Jesus prays it beautifully here. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. So he has this intimate interaction in prayer with God. He says, my father, that's the first time that he says it. He said previously in the New Testament, um, our father and your father and the father. But here he says, my father. This would have been deeply offensive to the religious ears that were hearing it. He's equating himself to God. He's saying, I am God. And that's the start of the gospel. That's the start of the good news. Jesus, the historic person who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago in human flesh, just like us. He was God. He is God. It's incredible. So he says, my father. And then he says, all things have been committed to me. In other words, all things. Everything. Not just a few things. Everything that is God's is Jesus's. Everything. He is God. He is sovereign over all things. He has come in the flesh for us. And so God is revealed partially in some ways. If we look at the, the beauty of the created universe, if we look at how our consciences um, incline us towards, towards morality, if we look at excuse me, the developments of history, we realize that the glory of God is revealed in his creation. His righteousness, his holiness is revealed in our conscience, drawing us towards right living. And his power and his might are revealed through history, but no one tells us about the Redeemer, about the one who has come to set us free from our sin, except Jesus. No one tells us how we are to be saved, how we are to be made new, how we are to be made whole, except Jesus. And so that's what he does for us in verse 27. He tells us that all things have been committed to him and that he is Jesus and that he sovereignly reveals the Father to us. It's only through Jesus that we can come to God. And so here are these two amazing truths. Firstly, God is revealed to the humble in heart. And secondly, God is revealed only by Jesus. 
Let's move on to his invitation. And so that's the prequel to our to the invitation. The humble will see God, and he will reveal himself through Jesus and has done. Verse 28, these are sweet words. These are like water to a dry land. If you're weary and burdened, these are sweet words. He says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. Not only to his audience, they were overheard him. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father today in his glorified body, and he's saying, come to me, to each of us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Jesus starts his invitation to his audience here. He says, he starts by saying, come to my home. Come and have coffee with me and hear my sermons. Come and see my amazing miracles. Guys, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't say that. That's not what the text is. He says, come to me. Come to me. We all want an invitation to a person. You know, when we, when we get an invitation or, or we go with a spouse or a special person, whoever, to a place, a beautiful place, we're not really going there for the beautiful place. We're going there to be with the person. That's what we really, that's what our hearts truly desire. We want to be with a person, with people. And so Jesus invites us here. And this is a key noteworthy thing here. He invites us to come to a person, not to a place or a process or some other moment. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so who must come? What qualifies you to come? Your learning, your education, maybe like those, those, those religious leaders thought, you know, how sharp they were around God's law and how, you know, upright and moral they were. I don't know what, what we think, but what qualifies us to come? Jesus says, are you weary or burdened? That qualifies you. Are you weary or burdened? If you are either of those, if you're feeling tired, if you need a rest, if you're feeling heavily laden to the point of sinking, that's what, that's what it's talking about here, burden to the point of sinking, or weary from strenuous, continuous, exhausting work? <laughs> Come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest. The picture I have in my head is almost like of a, you know, what qualifies us to come. It's almost like of a little, and it's a terrible image, but it's, it's one that I have, of a little, um, a little innocent baby being swept out to sea on, a, on a, a strong rip current. And it's a hectic, raging sea. And that baby is completely helpless to save themselves. Completely helpless. That's what qualifies us to come. When we're just like that little baby, we come, we know we're helpless. We need help. We need a rest. Only you can give it, God. That's when we're qualified to come to Jesus. It's not a very high bar, eh? <laughs> it's not a very high bar. I would imagine most of us here in the room meet that standard. We qualify to come to Christ. And that's awesome. Jonathan Edwards, a famous American preacher, once said, um, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that is so true. And I think that is partly what Christ is saying here. Come, you're weary and burdened. You've got nothing to give except your sin. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. And the amazing thing is he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, like, come to me, and you kind of, you know, we can come and we can hang out with someone, but we're not quite sure what's going to happen. He doesn't just say, come to me, and you kind of hope it's going to be okay and it's going to be good and stuff's going to work out. He says, come to me, and then he makes this incredible promise, and I will give you rest. Not you will earn your rest, or you'll work hard 
for your rest. I will give it to you like a gift. You just need to receive it. Come to me and I will give you rest. And the most incredible thing about that is Jesus is not just making a promise for this life. He's making an eternal promise. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you rest, not just for today or for tomorrow or for the next day or for this season. I will give you eternal rest for this age and the one to come, for this life and the one post the grave. I will give you rest for your souls is what Jesus promises us. Thank you, Jesus, that you promise us that. And so you may be asking, but what qualifies Jesus to, to make the statement? And I'll tell you what qualifies him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem, and he fell to his knees in prayer just before he was just about to be slaughtered and execu- executed for us. And he fell to his knees in prayer in such exertion and anguish that he actually sweated blood. He was so... Uh, weary and so heavy laden with the sin that would be put upon him. And he came before the Father in pleading and prayer. He was the most weary of any person, the most weary anyone has ever been. And then he bore the burden of the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. He was beaten and marred. He was shamed and mocked by the Romans. He was then hung on a Roman cross in absolute public scorn and shame. For the sin of the world. He bore the heaviest burden anyone could ever be. Ever. And he took it to God on the cross. He took our sin. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He took our burdens. He took our weariness to God on the cross. So that he could take it on himself. So that we don't have to bear it anymore. We don't have to bear it anymore, guys. We don't have to carry that stuff that is holding us back. We don't have to be absolutely crushed by those previous things we've done that we regret. We don't have to be defined by our past. It was taken on Christ at the cross. Isaiah 53 says, The Lord Jesus has laid, sorry, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God, that is Jesus, who lifts up and bears away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 2.24, he, Jesus, bore our sin on his body on the tree that is the cross. And so that's what qualifies Jesus to make the statement. There is no one more worthy of making the statement. There is no one who can make the statement, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then Jesus carries on this invitation. So he starts by saying, come to me, come to me. And then he carries on this invitation. I believe it's the second part of this invitation. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he doesn't just dish out rest. He's like, come to me. Weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. This isn't just dish out the rest, rest to us and then say, okay, go on your merry way. Make it happen. Good luck. I hope you can keep that rest going. He doesn't do that. That would be so cruel. <laughs> but he says, come to me. If you want to truly experience rest, know rest, enjoy rest, grow in rest, genuine rest, come to me. Be joined to me. Follow me. Yoke yourselves 
to me, he's not talking about the yellow part inside an egg, by the way, just in case for all those who thought. We'll talk about a yoke in a moment. He says, join to me. Be my disciple. Be my follower. That's what Christ says. That seems like a heavy weight, doesn't it? Well, the rest of the scripture tells us why it's such a joyous load to carry. And so what is a yoke? For those who are not farmers and are not from that time in history, a yoke is that wooden part between the two oxen that yokes them together so they are connected to one another and they pull heavy loads together, uh, like plowing the fields or carts or whatever. So it would have been a very familiar image to those in, those, in that time. Um, but for us <laughs> who aren't all farmers and live agricultural lives, that is what a yoke is. And so what did a yoke represent? A yoke represented being under submission to another, being under the authority of another, learning from another. And so in those days, it would have been those who had come under the yoke of a rabbi. So Jews who wanted to learn from and be discipled by and mentored by a rabbi, they would come under the yoke of the rabbi. All the Jews knew that they came under the yoke of the law of Moses or the yoke of the commandments. And so what is Christ's yoke? Christ's yoke is a metaphor for discipleship. It's a metaphor from coming, for, for coming to him and learning from him, as he says in the scripture, learn from me, not just learning from him and of him, but learning him, being his follower, being his disciple. And says, take your yoke, take, take my yoke upon you. Come to my school. Come and be discipled by me. Come and learn from me. Come and submit your wills to me, not just as Savior, but as Lord and teacher. Come and submit under my authority. And so somebody once said, as complicated as life may become, discipleship to Jesus is at heart simply walking with him in the real world and having him teach us moment by moment how to live his way. So I need two more volunteers. Who's going to help me? This is the last volunteers for the day. Who's going to help me? Anybody? From this side. From this side. Thanks, Amanda. Okay, Dan. Awesome. Can you guys just stand here, please? Okay, so this is our yoke. <laughs> Just put this on your shoulders. So you're on your shoulder and on your shoulder and stand underneath it. There we go. Okay. So that is the, this is the symbolic of a yoke, okay? And now um, what happens with a yoke is when they're trying to um, break in a young ox <laughs> and teach them how to pull the yoke, how to pull the weights, they get a mature and experienced ox <laughs> And they shackle them together with the yoke. And the, usually with a young ox, they try and break free. They try and go in their own way. They either go too fast or too slow. And so what happened in those, in those times, and even today, is they'll, they'll yoke a young ox to an experienced, mature ox. And that ox, the mature one, will walk at exactly the right pace that they need to walk. Will go in the right direction. And will essentially teach the young ox how to walk, which way to go. And so it was a beautiful word picture that Jesus chose to use. And you know, in this life, this is a wonderful picture for us, I think, also. Sometimes, I would say often, we yoke ourselves, we connect ourselves to so many things that are not Jesus. We attach ourselves, our value, our worth, our drive, our passions to all sorts of other things, and not only to Jesus. And so what, is your, what, have, what have you been yoking yourself to this year? 
If you're a Christ follower, he, you are yoked to him. But what we try and do is we try and pick up other yokes and be directed by other things. Maybe it's your career that needs to grow. Or your studies need to pass. Or, I don't know, you want to have kids. Or you want to be successful. Or you want to have the better life, you know? The better life. We all want the better life, whatever that is. And so we yoke ourselves to that thing. And we work and we work and we graft and we get anxious and we get stressed because we're yoked to something other than Christ. Thanks so much, guys. You can just pop that on the floor. (laughs) Cheers. And so that's a yoke. Yoking the two oxen together. What do we yoke ourselves to? What do we yoke ourselves to? What have you yoked yourself to this year? What have you attached yourself to? What have you come under? what's What's been teaching you this year? Who or what? has been teaching you. And I ask myself those very same questions. Because I know when I'm completely at the end of myself, when I'm tired, I've been trying to attach myself to other things. I've been trying to impress people. I've been trying to do well at work. I've been trying to, and these are not bad things. They're not bad things. But when they become the thing that we put ourselves under, we get tired and heavily laden and weary. So there's a beautiful example of this. Just, to, just uh, if you move on from Matthew 11 to 12, Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and uh, they're hungry. And it's on the Sabbath day, which is the holy rest day, right, for the Jews. And uh, they're walking, and, and Jesus just picks some grain, um, what's his name, so between his hands, and then gives it to the disciples to eat. And the religious authorities are looking on at them, and they're like, you cannot do that. That is not allowed on the Sabbath. And they get so raging, angry, and upset because they have yoked themselves. They have connected themselves to the law of God, plus many other human traditions, which they added on afterwards. And they have done that to such a point where they are completely heavily laden. They can't even see the creator who they've been studying in the law of God when he's in their very presence because they are so connected to this thing that they have made, this other thing, this law. They are so yoked to it. And so Jesus proceeds to rebuke them. And he says, you guys have missed the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is not what you think it is, to become under a heavy burden. It's to be lightened and to get rest, genuine rest. So he says, you've missed the point of the Sabbath. You guys don't get it. And he rebukes the Pharisees. And it was within good intention, I'm assuming, with many of them. They wanted to genuinely see God. They wanted to follow him. But they missed the mark. And you know what they would often do? It says here in Matthew 23, it's a little bit later in Matthew, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, those were the religious elite. And he says to them, says about them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They put these things on people, but they will not help to move them or bear them or carry them. And so verse 30, thank you, Jesus, that you are not like the Pharisees. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His his yoke is completely other, completely other. His yoke is easy to bear and light to carry. When it says easy to bear, it doesn't mean it's a walk in the park. It means it fits well. It is made for us. That is what we are made for. The same spirit, the same spirit of God that Jesus sent and the same spirit of God 
that helped Jesus go to the cross and bear all our sin and shame upon himself is the same spirit that comes to fill you if you're a Christ follower this morning to be able to carry the weight of the burden of Christ, to be able to walk alongside him. I just marvel at the balance of the Bible. You know, we would so easily cling on to that first verse, 28, come to me, find rest, and just go on our own. An easy life. Yes, I love Christianity. I don't really have to do much. Just chill out, you know? And it's all going to be okay. But oh, Jesus is so good. He knows us too well, huh? So he brings in 29 and 30, and he says, the place where you find true rest is not just going alone. It's when you come under me, when you have my burden on you, my light and easy burden, when you're constrict, constrained to the way that I go. Especially in our generation, we think that freedom is the absence of any constraint. And it's just not for humans. We will always constrain ourselves to something, even if it's the pursuit of freedom. <laughs> that thing will become a yoke on our shoulders. We will try and find rest somewhere, on a holiday, in a book, doing exercise, in a person, somewhere. We will constrain ourselves, no matter how we try to be free. We will always constrain ourselves. That is how we're made as humans. And so Jesus so kindly comes to us and he says, take my yoke upon me, learn from me, my burden, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he removes that first yoke from us, whatever we had yoked ourselves to, whatever was really making us weary and burdened. And he puts his gentle, well-fitting, easy yoke upon us if you're a Christ follower. We cannot rest without a yoke. We cannot rest without the burden of Christ upon us. We are not free without these things. We are free when we have them. And so the invitation from Jesus this morning is come to me and take my yoke upon you and then you'll find rest. Come to me, Christ says, take my yoke upon you and then you'll find rest. And we cannot separate those two. And they shouldn't be separated. Nothing else will give you rest. None, nothing else will make your burden easy and light. Nothing else will bear the yoke for you that is put on you. Only Jesus will. Only he will give you rest for your souls. And it's a promise that he makes to us. Come to me and take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. Come to me, each one of us this morning. Each one of you, come to Christ. Put his yoke upon you and he will give you rest. And so we're all invited this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is You Are Invited. We're all invited this morning to come to Christ. We're all invited this morning to take all these burdens, all these weights, oh, this is heavy, <laughs> that we've been carrying around the whole year, perhaps for several years, and to come and put them at the foot of a cross. I don't know if you noticed, but this yoke looks like an empty cross. And it's because of the empty cross, because Jesus came and took everything upon himself at the cross, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he can say, come to me and I will give you rest. You can take all these burdens and put them at the foot of the cross, even this morning, every morning, you can come and put them at the feet of the cross, and I'll give you rest. 
And so that is the invitation issued to each one of us this morning. And if you'd like to, I'd love you to respond by reading and praying this prayer aloud that will come onto the screen now. Okay, you can pray with me if you'd like to respond to this invitation this morning. Jesus, I come to you. I take your yoke upon me. I want to learn from you. Thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you that you give me rest for my soul. And so I want to encourage you to read the scripture this week and pray a prayer, something like this. Let the scripture guide you. Jesus, I come to you. I take your yoke and your burden upon me. Thank you that you give me rest for my soul. And so my Omar, um, and I'll land with this, my Omar passed away three weeks ago, and she had devoted her entire life to the service and upliftment of others in the church. Her husband died nine years before, um, um, sorry, nine years ago, and um, she had lived alone in the retirement village ever since, and this year she had really been struggling with health issues, really taken her down, and she couldn't really move around or get around much. And um, two days before she died, in her daily Bible reading devotion, she underlined this, two days before she died. Job then died old and full of years. Job being the Old Testament character who had a lot of suffering and really hard stuff that happened in his life. Job then died old and full of years. That happens to be the last sentence in the book of Job, and that's the last thing she underlined two days before her death. Amazing, eh? God's children are not delivered into the hands of an angry old man. They live from the hands of their father. His hands that enfold them tightly and open wide when he shows them the generosity of his love for them. God's children are not delivered into the hands of an angry old man. They live from the hands of their father. And so those are the last words that she underlined before her passing. You may or may not be on death's door this morning, but the question remains, where will you find rest for your souls in this life and the next? Where will you find rest for your souls? I know where my Omar found her rest. I know exactly where she found her rest. Where will you find rest for your souls? Jesus says, and I plead with you this morning, come to me and take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest for your souls. Come to me and take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest for your souls. Can we stand this morning together as we close with some prayer? Can you just close your eyes for a moment? Um, I want to make two invitations for a response this morning. The first one is, if you've been running on the mouse wheel of life and you just feel shattered, you need rest. You don't yet know Christ. You haven't come to him. You've been looking into his claims. You've been checking out who he is. Perhaps you've even been coming here for a few weeks, but you haven't said yes to Jesus. You haven't started following him yet. You haven't become his child yet. 
I want to make opportunity this morning for you to become a child of God, to become a follower of Jesus, to become his disciple. If that is you, I want to just ask for a moment that you would just quickly raise your hands so that I can see it, and then we're going to pray all together. Is there anybody like that who wants to come to Jesus and become a follower of his this morning? Awesome, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us in this morning to come to you, to become your disciples. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Is there anyone else who wants to respond to Christ this morning? Awesome. Can we just close our eyes? If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me under your breath. But can we all pray it under our breath together? Thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and you bore the weight of sin and shame and guilt upon your shoulders. Thank you that we no longer need to carry that by ourselves because you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead defeating sin and death. Thank you for your forgiveness from our sin this morning, that we are set free to become disciples of yours, to become devoted followers, to have true rest for our souls this morning. Thank you that you call me now a child of God, one of your own, your possession. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the second uh, invitation I want to give is, if you are a Christ follower, you are yoked to Christ, but you've just found through this year or through the past couple of years, you've been picking up other yokes, whatever it is. You've been trying to connect yourself to other things for whatever reason and purpose, and you'll know what those things are, things that weigh you down, make you feel so tired and weary. (laughs) And you just want to refresh the revelation and the idea that you are under the yoke of Christ and no other yokes this morning. Nothing else. If you want to repent for trying to pick up other yokes, (laughs) trying to put other stuff on yourself, trying to chase after other things this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way we're going to do that is we'll just, I'll just give a minute or two for us, each of you under your breath to repent before God. God, I repent for trying to take up this thing, for trying to run with that thing, for trying to do other stuff, and for forgetting that I am a child of God and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So if we want to pray those sorts of prayers this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then what I want you to do after you've done that is I want you to go to a trusted friend and just share with them that thing that you've taken on yourself this year or the past couple of years. And let them walk a road with you and help you to continue to focus on Christ and only put his yoke and his burden upon your shoulders. Okay, so I'll give you two, one or two minutes now just to repent where you've taken up other things this morning.
Father, I just repent this morning um, for valuing too highly the opinions of men. I repent this morning for trying to find significance in my work. God, I just come and lay these things at your feet, at the foot of the empty cross this morning. I just take the yoke of your cross upon me this morning. I want to be yoked to you. I want to follow you, be your disciple, be committed to you to learn from you. In Jesus' name. Amen.